We've been in a, in a uh, series called Unified, and we're, we're looking at how the church might be unified or the way in, in Jesus' terms understand what he means by when the church is one as he and the Father were one that he prayed in John 17. And we've been looking at how we as a church individually here might become part or might enhance the ability for us to be unified, not just agreeing with each other. In fact, we won't always agree with each other, but understanding what God means by being unified. And he's given gifts to the church that we might be able to work together. We might be able to edify one another, bless one another, be helpful and encourage one another as we use those gifts. As, as we use our gifts, others would be hopefully encouraged to use theirs. And as, as they use theirs, the whole church is able to do what it's called to do. And it will grow. I believe when we are doing what God calls us to do, the body of Christ will grow. It's healthy and it will grow, both numerically and spiritually. And back in week one, we looked at the difference between how the world views the church and how Jesus God views the church, or God views the church. And we saw the church that that Jesus Christ is building is built around, not around a building, but around a particular kind of people. Um, people who are faithful and obedient to his word. People who uh, not just say they love God, but actually show that they love him. And he will build the church around that that will bring glory and honour our Heavenly Father. And Jesus made it abundantly clear in the process that his, if he has one, love language is obedience. Because he tells us pretty much that in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, if you want to show love to me, obey my commandments. And he wants us to be showing love to him. He wants us to choose love. It's not that he forces us to love. He doesn't want that. No one wants that. If you pay someone to love you, that's not really love, right? It's like something else. If you force someone to love you because of buying their love for them, is that real love? It's not. And it's been said that the only glimpse that some people will get of Jesus is us, is his followers, is his people, is the disciples that we made. So the, what concept of Jesus are people seeing in us? What is the concept of Jesus is our world recognizing? What are they seeing in us in that? Where it's also said that we are his hands and feet in a practical way on this planet. And that metaphor reminds us that our role is as Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ. We co-work with him. In the ministry requires us to do that. What we call to do is part of the body of Christ, and we need to recognize that. Like feeding the hungry and looking after those who need clothing and for those who are in need, James tells us, and it's our scripture for this morning in James chapter 2, James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, 
Stay warm, eat well, but then don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Every single Christian is challenged realistically to embody the practical side of what James is saying right there. He's, James is telling us that the use of these gifts, the use of these spiritual gifts and the abilities that God has given us is directly connected to our faith. Because if we have faith, we'll use them. And unless we use them, he tells us in his words, our faith is dead. And we need to recognize that, that when God has enabled us to do the things that he's called us to do, it's an exercise in faithfulness. And they're not just for those who are in leadership. It's not just for those who, who are up the front kind of people. There's gifts given to every single Christian to be used in the context of the body of Christ so that the, the church or the body might be built up and continue to grow and God is honoured, God is glorified. And so today I, I kind of want to look at a little bit differently five areas of practical gifts that God, I believe, has given to the church. They're not, it's certainly not going to cover everything. We're going to look at just five, but there are many that fit under this, this banner of five that we're going to look at. And I still have people say to me, I really don't know what, or I'm not sure what my spiritual gift is or what area of giftedness God has given to me. And some people have been part of the church for a very, very long time. That saddens me, but I hope by the end of this morning that we might be able to recognise potentially the need that we have to look for or to discover our gifts or maybe God is showing you something in what we're going to be talking today. We need to remember that we have to use our gifts to encourage one another, to build up the body of Christ, but it's also to use them together to point people towards the Lord Jesus Christ, to honour our Heavenly Father. And if both those things don't happen... If we're not using them in the right manner and we're not pointing people to Christ, according to James, he says, our faith is dead. But before I get into the five areas, I want to start with the very first step. And it's the first step of making sure that we are able to have the faith or that our faith is alive. That we have what is necessary to receive the gifts that God has for us. So the first, if you're taking notes, there's only realistically two points today, so that's good news for some. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We, we have to realise that. The Scriptures tell us that when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we receive at least one spiritual gift. Every person that receives the Lord Jesus Christ we receive at least one spiritual gift when that, play, when that takes place. So if we are wanting to have any spiritual gift in us and with us or God has given it to us, 
we need to ensure that we have made the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I know many who have grown up in the church and have heard, about, heard that so many times and, and some of you have been there and been part of the church perhaps most of your life but who have never publicly declared Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, who have never really stood up and publicly declared that there are some others who have, but it's really not impacted the way they've followed on with their life. They've, they've made this statement, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I love him, but it hasn't really impacted how we live our lives from that point on. Both of those things are essential if our faith is to be recognised as real. And Peter tells those who were asking how they could receive this eternal life in the book of Acts. They're saying, how can we receive this? How can we go forward from here? How can we be part of this? And he tells them that what they needed to do was to confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord. And believe in their heart that he rose from the dead. And so we often take that to mean that if we accept that and we just make a, a, a short prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. Fill my heart. I receive you. That that's it. We can finish with that. There's nothing wrong with the prayer, but there is something wrong with the attitude. Because we cannot say something like that and then move on believing that we've done everything possible that we need to be done to be in order to be recognized as a Christian. We, we just can't, it's just more than that when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus talked to people about their faith, it always pointed to a change of behavior. If there's no change of behaviour, we would have to consider whether anything has really changed in the first place. So we could say a prayer, not really mean it, or not really change anything, and so we've got to understand that it's more than just the prayer. He was all... <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus always pointed out a change of behaviour. For the woman caught in adultery, it was go and sin no more. For the woman at the well, it was seeing that everyone was obedient, need to be obedient and recognising her obedience to God himself. For the rich young ruler, it was reprioritising his his riches or his finances or reprioritizing his thinking on those things. For Nicodemus, it was having a change of heart, believing in who Jesus is. Every time Jesus confronted these people, there was an expectation that something would change. And that right there with Nicodemus in this believing in Jesus is the thing that we get hung up on or can get hung up on. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just believing that he exists or that he once existed or that he was a, a great moral teacher that walked this planet. It's about believing in him. It's believing that he is able to take care of us and protect us and fulfill our daily needs. It's about placing our trust in him for everything. 
It's about living our life, believing that he's able to do these things. It's about trusting him with our finances. It's about trusting him with our family. It's about trusting him with our work ideas. It's about trusting him with everything to do with our life. It's when we do that, we say, Lord, I believe in you and I show it by putting my trust in you. The word is trust that needs to be aligned with believe. And believing in the Lord Jesus Christ also means that our life is prioritised by change toward Christ-likeness. Our minds change from what I want to what he wants. And unless that starts to happen, unless we start to see those things changing in our life, the question really needs to be asked, have I really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what having faith really means. It means that I trust him. Even though I don't see it, I know he will do it. Even though I don't understand it, I know that he'll come through. I've made changes and I, and I believe that my heart is in part of that change. I've changed the direction my heart wants. It, it needs to be a shift from selfishness to selflessness. It needs to be what I want to what he wants. And unless that change of heart happens, James tells us that our faith is really non-existence. That's what, not, non-existent. That's what he says in 2 verse 18. He says, how can you show me your faith if you really don't, have, if you don't do good deeds? How can you show me your faith unless it changes why we do what we do? How can you show me your faith unless your attitude shifts from what you were thinking into a new way of thinking? That's not to say that doing that change or making that change automatically makes you a person of faith. And that's kind of where we get confused. It's this whole work stuff. It's that if I do all the right things, my faith must be strong. If I do this, then my faith is good. But that's not right either. And that's the, the potential, the argument that Paul and, and, well, they weren't having an argument, but what people think that one conflicts with the other. Paul says, you can't have, faith has nothing to do with your good works, or he says, it's, it's by faith that we're saved, not by good works. James says, unless you've got good works, you don't have faith. And there's this apparent contradiction, but it's not really a contradiction at all. And many have been caught out thinking that because we can help out or we do things in the community, because we're nice people, because we're generous people, because we volunteer on a church roster or, or because we give money away to help the poor or, or we're generous in the things that we do, that our faith is strong. It may be. But we need to understand that it's, it's really not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that determines what we do. If our motivation is to do things so that God will approve us, that God will look favorably upon us, 
and think that by doing that we're going to make our way to heaven, then we're going to find ourselves, I believe, in a little bit of trouble. There's no guarantee that if that's our motivation for doing it, that we'll end up in the kingdom of heaven. The only way to get to heaven is to repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that we've been talking, and follow him. When we come before him, we need to confess our sins. We need to recognize our disobedience of the past and bring that before him and ask him for our forgiveness or for forgiveness. When we come before him, it's, it comes with a genuine desire to now believe in him, to put our faith in him, to put our trust in him and say, Lord, I haven't done a good job of my own life. I need to, you to guide me. I need you to follow me. So you change the way that I think. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us out, to guide us, to, to direct us, to, to lead us. He doesn't set us on a path and lead us or leave us alone. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And he also gives us what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, spiritual gifts that we can use so that we can fulfill the task that he has for us. He does not leave us in the lurch. And we receive spiritual gifts given by God specifically for us individually. He knows your, your makeup. He knows you, the way that you think. He know, he's created you. I was going to say he's created you from the ground up, which is literally what he did. And we, we need to recognize that we, we are his. We belong to him. And he expects us to use those gifts. That's if you really love me, you'll do what I ask. You'll, you'll obey my commandments. You'll fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Jesus or God has invested everything into you and I. He gave up his life so that you and I could be in the kingdom of heaven. He gave up everything so that you and I could be part of the kingdom. The least I can do, the least that we can do, is to use what he's given to us to honour him and bring him glory. And I believe that Jesus is really looking for a harvest based on the investment that he has in me and in each of us. So if we want the spiritual gifts, if we want to understand what we're talking about, we need to receive Jesus genuinely. And then the second one, the five practical gifts that we're going to be looking at. These are not all of them. There's no way that we're going to get through them in a time that we allot and we're going to struggle even with these ones. But there's five areas that are not exhaustive. But there are five areas that, that shine in this area of practicality that we've talked about the leadership stuff of pastors and prophets and, and that stuff last week. And there's other stuff that we're not going to be dealing with wisdom and knowledge and, and discernment and all those things that come as part of spiritual gifts. We're not dealing with all of that. These are practical things. And they're the ones that probably most of us go looking for when we talk about them. And one of the reasons I'm going through them is because 
Since we know that Jesus Christ is building his church, I believe that practical stuff is necessary. I believe that we need to see some of this practical ministries. And logically, we should conclude that being part of the body is that we lack no gifts. God doesn't build his church and say, oh, I'm going to sneak this one out and see how you go. He doesn't do that. He wants us to succeed. And we can recognize that we need to be obedient to those purposes. That's to say, if there's a need within the context of a body, I believe there will be people with the necessary gifts to make sure that that's taken care of. Or that God is preparing people with the necessary gifts to see the church grow healthily. So the first one, if you've got an A there, it's administration is the one that I want to start with. And it's the first area that... I kind of come to mind with, but it's also not easy to see or use this ministry because of the way that our culture has has formed around this gift of administration or administration in general. It's moulded our behaviour into filling out forms, into keeping records, into making sure things are kept in order and doing all the paperwork stuff. Maintaining what we have come to think of as a big brother mentality. Don't you dare get, keep my details or, you know, you, they'll be sneaky and watch over us and sneak into our lives without us knowing. Administration is often seen as a necessary evil. But there are numerous peoples mentioned in the scriptures who clearly had the gift of administration. Many of them. The first one that really comes to mind is is Joseph, for a start. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, you can find it in Genesis 37, around 47, somewhere around there. But Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he was bought by a man named Potiphar. And while he was in Potiphar's household, Potiphar had so much respect for him, or developed so much respect for Joseph, that he put him in charge of everything that he had. He recognized this giftedness in administration and and Joseph did a wonderful job. But Joseph found himself in prison after a little while through no fault of his own. But even while he was in prison, the prison guard put him in charge of all the other prisoners because he recognized the gift of administration. Eventually he got released and he was put then back into Pharaoh's care. Pharaoh had him in his whole thing and appointed him as the governor of the land because he was such a good administrator. He provided an abundance or he lived through an abundance of and he lived through a famine time. He provided food when it was needed and he was able to gather food when he was able. And he probably saved the nation because of his gift of administration. There's another in the book of Acts where there were seven well-respected people and spirit-filled people who were given the responsibility to carry out the administrative stuff while the, other, the disciples or the apostles did the preaching. And later in the New Testament, we, we read where Paul speaks of appointing those functioning with administrative gifts as church leaders and deacons. And he tells Timothy, he said, For a, if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he even take care of God's church? 
Even in Jesus' ministry, there were those filled with the role of administration. And while, Peter, they, sorry, while their names are not mentioned specifically, we know they were there because they counted the number of people that were all at the miracles that took place. Remember, there were 120 in the upper room at the end of the day. There were people, they knew there were 5,000 men at the feeding of the 5,000 and they knew how many baskets were left over. There were people who were taking note of those things in the ministry of Jesus. And the liability that comes with having this gift, and there are some of you who are very good administrators. The liability that comes with this gift is that because it's often very much task-orientated, it's easy to focus on the practical side of it and overlook the people side of it. And we, we, people with gift of administration can sometimes be accused of really not caring about the people. We're just keeping to the letter of the law. But that's not how it needs to be, and it's not how it is always. Being task-oriented is not a liability in itself. We need people who are task-oriented to get things done. The liability is that without joyful discipline to look after people and their needs, then the church would suffer. And we need to be aware of that. I don't necessarily have a gift of administration. I like administration. I don't mind doing the work of administration and I value it. But we need to find those people who have a, a gift in this area and utilize them. Every ministry needs someone who has this gift of administration in keeping things organized and, and on track with vision, mission and purpose of the church. The second one that I want to include in this five is encouragement because this is a very unique gift specifically with and typically serving in roles and responsibilities. As a result, it can, it can really go unnoticed when, when people with the gift of encouragement is there. It's, it's a practical thing, but it's also something that's often done behind the, the scenes. No one really sees it. In fact, many of people who have this gift of encouragement go unnoticed. The Bible uses the word exhortation to speak of the word encourages. It uses we need to exhort one another. It's far more than affirmation. Exhorters do that, but it's more than that. It's, they encourage means to add courage to people, to, to generate enthusiasm and give people the courage to move forward. Exhorters are primarily concerned with seeing where there is a member of or part of the church and making sure that they have the capacity to do their work. Someone with this gift often sees the gifts in others and, and walks alongside of them for a season. It, it doesn't have to be forever, but when people are lacking the courage to do what needs to be done, mentoring, encouraging them in using the gifts and abilities that God has given them. Joshua and Caleb were, were biblical examples of this. They, they came back exploring the promised land and they came back very excited. You can read about it in Numbers uh, 14. Well, 10 were, came back with reports of fear and dread. 
Joshua and Caleb scolded them and said, remember what God has done. Look, take courage and stand up for what he, he has already shown us through his work. This speech, if you read it, is probably or perhaps one of the most ineffective, God-inspired moments of all scripture. While everything they did was true and right, no one listened. And Paul was an encourager too, as he mentored a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in the church at Ephesus. The, the negative part or the, the failure part of the, the encourager is that it's those who have this gift are often the ones who don't get the encouragement. They, they, they can slip behind the scenes a little bit. When they need encouragement, others without the gift don't see the need that they have. And that's one reason why we are told in Hebrews 10 that we should not neglect our meeting together. But we should, as some people do, but encourage one another. Everyone should be part of this encouraging. Even when it doesn't, we don't see it. We should be natural encouragers so that especially now in the day of the Lord, that as we see the day of the Lord approaching, it's going to get tougher and it's going to get tougher Let's not neglect our meeting or our encouraging. Compassion is the third one. And this, this word compassion is translated differently in different translations. It's, it's, it's translated as mercy, kindness, or compassion. The Greek word that is used for, for this word is aleo. Aleo. A-L-E-E-O. Sorry, E-L-E-E-O, L-E-O. And it literally means compassionate in word or deed. It means it's, it's helping those who are in trouble or those who need aid in a practical way. It's about bringing help to those who need help. And there are a number of people with this gift in scriptures, if you read through the scriptures, and perhaps one of the first that comes to mind as I was thinking through this was, a, was the, uh, Ruth. Ruth was a wonderful encourager. She's a Moabite woman who, who remained with her mother-in-law after her mother-in-law mother had lost two sons and Ruth had lost her husband. And while there were some twists and turns in the process of this, through the whole story of the book of, of Ruth, the reality is that Naomi herself, the mother-in-law, would probably have died a very lonely old woman had Ruth's compassionate heart not stepped in. And another story of compassion comes from Joseph, husband of Mary, the son, uh, mother of Jesus. When, she, when he found out she was pregnant and she was pregnant with a child that wasn't his, legally he had a right to have her stoned for sleeping with another person when she was meant to be with him. And yet under God's leading through a dream and through circumstances that carried on from that, he recognised his, his need to be seen and recognized to be the father of Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't. 
He showed compassion on his future wife and took upon himself the, and adopted as a sense of this child as his own. Child was Jesus, fathered by the Holy Spirit. The heart of compassion is the ability to, to really enter into another's pain. It's a selfless, it's sacrificial, it's, it's seeing others' needs. It's a God-given ability to abandon our own needs and comfort for the comfort of somebody else. And while we're all called to do that, no one should say that we, we shouldn't do that. There are those that with this gift or this grace that, that actually have a unique insight and a new, unique understanding of, of seeing this happen and, can, and then encourage others to be filling those needs where they're unable to do so. The caution, I guess, of this is that those with this gift may also have others take advantage of them because they don't have that with them while they themselves might not be concerned about it. The reality is that someone should be on the watch for it. We need to be looking out for those who are constantly reaching out and, and being compassionate with other people so that they are, their tank is filled, so that we're not leaving it, oh, that's their job, that's their gift. The other thing to remember is that while this, we have this gift or people with this gift is that while we're drawn to comfort other people, it's the Holy Spirit who's the comforter. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. So if we ignore the Holy Spirit in all of these gifts for that matter, but if we ignore the Holy Spirit, we're going to be prone to develop a codependence which becomes a problem in itself and, and we need to be recognising it's the Holy Spirit that needs to be given the authority to lead in all of these things. Otherwise, we are likely to comfort in ways that will lead to this codependency or unhealthy kind of lifestyles and ungodly behaviours potentially. Number four, giving. It was coming, wasn't it? But just as all believers are called to give and be part of the work of evangelism, we are to all participate in this area of giving. But there are some with a specific gift of giving who God has given this gift of giving to and it has nothing to do with how wealthy a person it is. It has nothing to do with how much money we have. It really has everything to do with the heart and, and, and recognizing that what we have and God seems to channel stuff through people with the gift of giving. They might not have a lot, but they're very generous. They might not have everything, but they're constantly giving. It's a little bit like the, the oil that pots that kept on getting filled up. But those with the gift of giving, God has given some people that understanding of, of willingness and desire to be generous. It has everything to do with our attitude or, and, or the condition of our heart. Proverbs says in Proverbs 21, it says, Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And that's dealing with a heart issue. But there are people who support financially the ministry and love to do that, who, who look, forward and, and for, look forward to opportunities to be able to give generously. There's a brief mention of some people who even contributed to Jesus' ministry in the scriptures. 
in Luke 8, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with them, and along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, and among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. There were plenty of people, even in Jesus' ministry, who had the heart to contribute and give. And then verse 4 talks about something else that is typical with those with the gift of giving. It's often done in the background. It's often done behind the scenes. Those with the gift of giving love to bless financially but and other ways but rarely do they want the recognition because it's not about that our caution with this is that we might recognize that we have got to be careful that we don't play a higher emphasis on on money as as a measure of God's blessing Money should not be allowed to become the idol or any idol in the church, but it's always a tool. We all need it, and God will bring what's necessary into that for the use of his glory and the shared mission of seeing people reached who need saving the lost and those who are making disciples. We need to recognize that. And finally, serving, serving others Serving covers a whole heap of stuff, by the way. There's a lot of giftedness in this one topic, but there's stuff in Corinthians, there's stuff in Romans, Ephesians. And, and while we're all called to serve, there's this a unique opportunity and anointing upon some to be able to serve in unique and very specific ways. The kingdom is impacted by the use of our serving ministries and gifts. And so I don't believe that God leaves a church without people with a servant heart, a servant attitude. But serving alongside of others is, is important and, and we need to recognise that we train each other up. We encourage one another, use someone as an, as an apprentice is a great way that we can bless the body of Christ. It may only be for a season that God does that, but, but it, it's also a gift that God has given to many. And it changes potentially over your lifetime. People with the gift of serving are, are great in, in, in leadership roles, but also in supportive roles where the, the work gets done and you don't have to think about it. Others don't think about it. Without these people dedicated to acts of service, we, we may not even have had Paul's letters because we have people who were writing letters for Paul. He didn't usually write the whole letter in his own hand at all. He signed them. And we wouldn't have had people like Barnabas and Silas who, who took people alongside and served in ministry. I guess the risk, if there is a risk of serving, it's that it can, it's too easy to take people for granted that that's just what happens. That's just what they do. We look at ministries and outcomes and never really thinking about what's going on behind the scenes in order to get to where we are today making sure that everything's in order, making sure everything's prepared, 
people will, with this gift will often stay afterwards a long time. They will get to things a long time before. And I, and I guess the risk is that we just, just assume it's going to get done. People with this gift make sure that events run smoothly. It's not enough just to do the job because it has to be done, but it's to leave it so that it, it doesn't have to be thought about into the future. It's, it's easy to forget people who do this sort of stuff. The work that goes on, even for preparing our service today, people who are getting here a couple of hours before the church service in order to make sure that stuff is in place, that there's things done, prepared and ready for just a church service, people here testing sound, preparing food and cleaning toilets, making sure that everything is, is right so that when we walk in through the door, it's just like normal. So that we can respond to the word of God in a way that's not distracting. And the reality is that all of these are very essential practical gifts they're all given to give given to us to bring glory to God and so it doesn't matter how you're gifted the exercising of our gifts in a practical sense always gives glory to our heavenly father it's so the church can function in a healthy and prosperous way and as we start out this year, I, we're about to start ministry. Sunday school, you'll hear in the announcements, I'll save your time, Warren, um, is happening next Sunday. We're back in. School starts this week. We have youth and we have children's ministries starting up. We have all these things that are happening and, and every single one of them needs people with giftedness to, in order to, to make things happen. Let's not just assume that just because it's always been happening that it's always going to happen. Let's not just assume that because someone's doing a job that they're the right person for the job. I hope they are. But that may not be. Some have stood in the gap at times because that's a necessary thing to do. Some have stepped up because there was a vacancy even though it wasn't what their, their primary gift was. And they've done a wonderful job and they continue to do a wonderful job. But left in that position, we're prone to burn out. We're prone to run out of energy and, and get frustrated with it because no one's doing anything. So let's not assume that it's just going to be as it always was. But for all of us who have given our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ to, to use the gifts that we have all been given... And I'd love this year to be a year where this part of the body, the Yapoon Wesleyan Methodist Church, is recognising its need to be part of what the God is doing here on the Capricorn Coast, to reach out, to be an essential part of the whole body of Christ. We need to see each other and, and guide one another and direct one another and understand our own spiritual gifts so that we might be a blessing to one another. Are we really ready to see that happen? Are we really ready to take this message out because it needs to happen? So I want to challenge you this morning as we start off these, these ministries, as there's things that are still, there's holes in the leadership or the, the fulfilling of some of these ministries. There are gaps. There are 
women's ministries, men's ministries, there are children's ministries, there are youth ministries, there's young adult ministries that all need help. There's stuff that happens around the building, practical stuff, cleanings and, and all of those things that need to happen. I would love to see the kingdom of God not just surviving but thriving through 2024. And I would challenge you to, to, to seek God's will. To If you don't know your gift, then talk to me or talk to, to someone to help you understand that. Or maybe others will see in you things that you don't see in you. Maybe others can see what you're... We all have blind spots and they see in you things that you don't see. And I want to challenge you to do that. Let's not hinder what God's doing and is continuing to do and he's blessing us and thank you for being part of this church. You're, you're a blessing to me. All of you, you have over the time that Karen and I have been here have been such a blessing in so many different ways. And life changes us, doesn't it? Circumstances change us. So let's encourage one another. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your protection of your people and Lord as we we've just really looked at what James has been talking about in in regards to how we might show our faith in in using the gifts but doing good things father I know there's there's a little difference but it's it's kind of we need to exercise our giftedness to do what you've called us to do, to bring blessing to one another, but to honour our Heavenly Father. So Father, help us not to just hide them under a bushel or to, to, to have our light in us, but not shining anywhere. But to stand up and be counted amongst those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, to honour you, serve you and bless you. And I pray, Father, for this church. I pray, Father, for these people, for, for each one listening here today. I pray that you might just inspire us, guide us, direct us, and, and create in us a need to, first of all, get our life right with you, to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to know what you call us to do, but then to change the way that we think so that we might know what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, we thank you for your goodness and ask for your blessing upon us as we trust you and serve you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.